Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 290 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank NOTA, powered by M&T Bank. NOTA is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, NOTA. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. All right, and we just want to say that with so many new podcasts continuing to announce their very first show these days, we do like to mention that at 15 years and counting, although it should be 16 years now, uh, almost, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. In our last episode, we dug into our tips vaults for a 20 tips in 20 minutes episode. It seems to have been a very popular one. In this episode, we take a look at the growing phenomenon of forcing people to come back to the office. Or maybe I'm kind of loading the question when I say it that way. Really? Will it cause a revolt or will it really just be back to the old normal? Tom, what's on our, our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about going back to the office, whether we want to or not. I mean, going back to the office, that is. In our second segment, uh, we'll give a short progress report on our second brain efforts. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, the impending return to the office and whether companies can or should require everyone's physical presence. Uh, I am already seeing some of my clients slowly going back to the office, uh, although most seem to be looking at Labor Day as some kind of magic date when it's okay for everybody to be in person together. To the surprise of no one, not everyone is thrilled about going back to the office, but some companies are being very firm about requiring everybody back. I've been hearing, uh, suddenly when we decided to do this topic, all I hear about now are stories about people coming back to the office, and it's really been going on for a couple of months now. To be fair, not every company is forcing people back to the office, and we'll talk more about the hybrid workplace and what that needs to look like. But I know that at least one co-host of this podcast is not a fan of being required to return to the workplace. Dennis, some people might use the term first world problem to describe what we're talking about here. What's your response to that? Well, I think that's kind of a yes or no. We need to be realistic that our audience is primarily in the legal profession and do have opportunities to do work and at home and have typically will have places to work at home. But that's not always the case. People are sharing the dining room table and other things like that to, to get work done. Um, so let's acknowledge that. And then I, I think that 
you say I'm not a fan of being required to return to the workplace. Well, I'm going to go back to to teaching in person in the in the fall. So it's it's not so much that, but I think that with everybody these days talk about their freedom this, freedom that, freedom to do this, freedom not to do that. It does seem weird that you have employers saying that they're uh, going to force people to come back into the office. It seems like one of the learnings from the pandemic would be that uh, we were actually really responsible when we were working from home. So I'm not sure that we need to be forced back in the office and and, and be monitored. What do you think? Well, Again, I think the word force is a loaded term. Um, I think that what I usually see is require, which I think that there's some who would say, what's the difference between the two? And I agree that there is the sense of um, what was the last year and a half all about if we didn't learn some new things about how we work together. And I think we're going to talk more about that during this whole thing, and I have more thoughts to say on that. But I think I will start out by saying the theme of this entire segment is going to be that lawyers, at every chance they get, will show how they are late adopters in everything, and that lessons learned are not always coming to lawyers first. So again, I'm not surprised that there are firms who are saying, wasn't the last year and a half fun? Now let's all go back completely 100% to normal before that it was. I'm not surprised to hear that. Now, is that right? Probably not. There's probably a, a lot of things that we need to consider and new ways to think about it. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But uh, it's not surprising to me at all. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's really not not surprising. It's uh, and but the pushback has been just uh, so strong. It's that is a little bit of a surprise to me. So anyway, I want to mention something I was involved in with uh, Vanderbilt and and Northwestern and Michigan State. Uh, we called TRB uh, retrospective uh, Thorn Rosebud, and the idea was that we were going to look at. Uh, what happened with online legal education, some hybrid legal education over the last year and a half, and say, what is the best of what we learned from that response to the pandemic, and how do we keep that? Uh, so what pains were reviewed, uh, did we find uh, that we would like to alleviate? What potential did we see, and what are the things we would like to move forward? And, I, and so I think that's one of the things when I hear people say, as of this date, no matter what, uh, everybody needs to come back into the office you know, and I, it just makes me worry that we're going to say, hey, everything was so amazing before this. Everything was just the most amazing thing, the most amazing profession, most amazing workspaces, everything that we just have to jump right right back to it. So, but, so I think I don't want to lose the in this uh, th- this conversation time, and I think this is where we're going with it, that um, there were some things that we learned that are really would be really helpful to people going forward, and it would be a shame to kind of turn our back on those. I don't disagree with that, and I think that's the main problem. I think that the the main issue that we have is, and, and but let's be fair, um, 
not every firm is doing this. Not every firm is saying that uh, uh, that everybody has to come back. There are a lot of firms out there that are developing hybrid programs that are staggering the way that things are going to work. Uh, I will agree that the lawyers are probably not doing as well as some of the other industries that are out there that are really using the lessons of the pandemic to be better about this. Um, but I do see stories here and there about law firms that are trying to make a difference. So I don't know that we can paint a, a totally broad brush over this and say that everybody is doing the same thing. But I, I think you're right. I think that um, coming back without without more, without learning something, without doing something is one, sad, and two, again, very uh, lawyer-like and very something that I'm not surprised to see that that's happening. I mean, the number of people who said, I can't wait to get back in a courtroom and have a real trial, um, and I can't wait to do all of this stuff. I think that there's, again, this is not a psychology podcast, and I am not a psychologist, but I feel like that part of the mental attitude is, I just want to forget about what happened over the past year and a half. Can't we go back to the way it was before? There's a lot of that going on. And really, the question is going to be is what wins out? Is the is the we just wanted to go back to the way things were before? Or well, let's try new ways. And I'm really intrigued to see how far the let's try new ways people actually get with the lawyers. Well, lawyers are, are really really excellent at denial in all, all forms, uh, at least based on my, my own experience. Um, the one thing I do want to, to highlight, Tom, and, and I think that we can, you and I can pat ourselves on the back for this, uh, but please, please do not uh, anyone feel free to hug me over our, how prescient we were about how, how important collaboration tools would be in sort of the new world of, of collaboration. Um, and I think we've learned so much from that and seen so many benefits that I do expect that. And I think that's one of the things where you start to question, why, why am I going physically back into an office where I've, for a year and a half, done a great job using all these tools, some of which have uh, really significant benefits over in-person uh, in-person meetings. Uh, I saw, and and that we're going back to a feeling where you you get in some firms that managers are valuing uh, the actual time in the office where they can see you, which we used to call FaceTime, over the use of online video tools and collaboration tools like. FaceTime, if you get what I'm saying, Tom. I do. And this is kind of where our um, our views on this begin to diverge somewhat. So let, let me take issue first with what you said was a new world of collaboration tools. Not a new world of collaboration tools. This is people seeing the old world of collaboration tools for the first time and not having an option but to adopt them. And wow, they found out they're useful. So we've been writing about collaboration tools for 13 years and they're just finding out. So this is not a new world. This is just them catching up to the old world. Um, I think we need to acknowledge that there are new tools out there, but we can't pretend that these tools just popped up out of nowhere because we were forced to uh, to, to, to be at home and we had to meet for each with each other. Here's where my real point is, is that I believe that there is a time and a place and there is an effectiveness for virtual and online meetings. But I believe that there are also benefits to being in person. And one of the things that I really resonate with is there was a survey put out by um, 
combination by Major Lindsay in Africa and Law 360. And among the things they talked about, one of the things they asked was, what are the four major areas that have suffered by not being in person? Um, I, and and the, these four, I see, are, well, one of them I question, but the, but four, the three of the other three I really get. One is mentorship. Mentorship is, I think, a lot harder when it is by a video than when it is an in-person relationship or discussion. Training. I, you know, I do a lot of online training, so I'm not sure about that one. Work-life separation, I think, is a big deal. I've seen lots of people having trouble with being able to separate work from life because they both now take place in the same physical location. So there is a mental aspect to being able to go to a place to work and go to a place for home. That's why over the past year, all these tips were like, make sure that you have a separate place to do your work. And at the end of the day, shut everything down because we have to keep this psychological barrier between work and home. And it's a challenge. I get that. Then then that leads to that last, that last thing that people have suffered with is mental well-being and burnout. So I, I, there are more and more lawyers. In fact, Dennis, you're, you're going to quote a survey here. It's, I see in the notes that talk about burnout. And I'm going to make the argument that the burnout is because they're at home and they're doing the same thing all the time. And it's not because they're burned out. for And, that, and that's a serious concern. So, you know, there are some ways that I would say that almost argues for going back to the office. I'm not going to make that argument. I'm going to say that being at home, being out of the office has its benefits and there are times and purposes for which being virtual makes total sense and should continue as a process. But I believe that there are things by which uh, people benefit more by doing them face-to-face and in person, and there are ways that people benefit by leaving the home. It's not so much about being face-to-face or in person and having spontaneous conversations, um, but it's more about getting out of the home um, and getting around different people um, I, that I think is healthier, that I think there's a, a balance there that uh, that can be struck and should be struck, and I will step briefly down from my soapbox to let you talk for a minute. Well, I, I think we're finding evidence of all kinds as as time goes along, and so some of the, in some cases, people are saying, "Oh, this will this will be better in person is better." Like on mentorship, and and then there's another group that's saying, "Well, no, for diverse lawyers, actually being able to schedule." and do things for women lawyers, uh, being able to, to do things where it's not in, you know, going to the golf course, being in the office, those sorts of things. Actually, that's that's been a positive uh, development in some ways. But I think uh, to, go, to go back to the retrospective we did, there's there are two themes that really stood out for me. And so one is that uh, people felt they could trust each other more in this online setting because everybody's kind of responding to the same things, uh, the same sort of uh, developments going on with the pandemic. And and you were realizing that people were doing the best that they could in, in most cases. So there's there, I think there's this notion of trust. I think as professionals, it was nice for a lot of lawyers to feel like, hey, I'm working from home. I didn't have to have somebody, you know, putting surveillance on me or watching 
watching me, checking when I was in the office or not. They could just trust the work I was doing. And I kind of felt like more of a professional uh, than, than I ever had before. And the other key point was flexibility that, you know, uh, and you alluded to this, that we're now we're saying like, hey, you know what, in some cases, it makes sense to send an email. In some cases, it makes sense to have a phone call. Some sense it makes, uh, you know, sometimes it makes sense to have a, a video conference. Things can be done in different ways. And when you start to say like, do I need to be with people in person and try to coordinate all of that um, and get people together, travel, those sorts of things. Is that the best use of, of professionals' time? Um, and I think that all those things are, are starting to come into play. Yes. So I will say, I mean, I, for, for talking about women and diversity, and I, I think that to a certain extent, I would prefer them to fix the problem of going to the golf course than saying we can only meet virtually to have any type of valuable conversation because that to me that suggests a breakdown in, that was far beyond whether we're having people meet in person than uh, that that say okay well all of this type of stuff needs to happen only virtually from now on to be successful i feel that we're acknowledging um lots more failures there that should be fixed than uh, than, than than just the fact of coming back into the office um i will say went to your to your to your plea of not to hug you I would say I'm pretty sure that there's some HR rules around hugging in the office even before the pandemic so I don't think you have to worry too much about that I I think my position is is that well I, I'm gonna start sounding like a broken record there are there are good and valuable reasons that we do, should not have to be in the office all the time, that we can be just as productive, we can get just as much work done, we can have have, uh, have very similar professions. We are in a profession that is uniquely suited to remote work. But that said, I believe that there are benefits to being together that need to be considered as part of this. And there are psychological benefits that need to be part of this. There are a lot of people who need to be around other people. Um, you know, I don't consider myself a particular extrovert, but I've been around the same person now for a year and a half, and I'm getting tired of it a little bit. I'm ready to go and be around other people. So um, I, I've got to imagine that there are a lot of people who are feeling the stress because of that situation. And uh, it, it, I, that, that's why I keep saying it shouldn't be a forced position, but it ought to be um, a negotiated position. It ought to be something that we're learning from new. I mean, there's one of the, one of the links that I'm going to put in the show notes is from um, a, I guess it's a law review article. I'm not sure exactly what's coming out from, but it's a, a professor at the University of Iowa College of Law um, is doing an article that doesn't really sound like it's on. It's only moderately on topic, but it actually turns out to be on topic. It's called The Puzzle and Persistence of Big Law Clustering is what it is. And it argues, again, surprise, that lawyers are late adopters of everything and that, that management in law firm prefers the exploitation of proven office strategies than the exploration of novel and uncertain strategies, um, which is why they prefer you to be in the office than to work remotely. But I think the author, I think, has got a great point here and, and is, I think, saying that lawyers are in an ideal situation right now because the mandatory nature of moving everybody home 
reduce the transaction costs of coordinating that sort of effort. So you didn't have to think about the cost, you just did it. And it avoided the costs that coming, come with only allowing only certain people to work remotely and saying, well, we can only let a certain number of people work remotely and you get to do it and you don't get to do it and you get to do it. And so I, I think that what they are saying is this is the perfect time to explore new ideas because you don't have that choice between the exploitation of the proven office strategy and the exploration. They're both equal choices that you can make, and it's the perfect time to make those choices. Yeah, so there's so many things, Tom. I know that we won't uh, we can we can touch on a bunch of them, and I'm just going to tick through a few things that that I had on my mind. Is like people realize that they hate commuting. Nobody wants to go back to that. I mean, there might be a few people who say, well, there's less traffic, but for a lot of people, that's a lot of downtime. People have now figured out better approaches, childcare, uh, taking care of their parents, other issues. Uh, people, you know, felt people build tons of hours. People have found ways to be productive um, over the last year and a half. And now they're being told that they need to come back into the office. And is that going to be some kind of, of measure? So what does productivity even mean anymore? So then for me is like, what if I find it harder to work in the office than I do at home? What if I'm like really run smoothly at home, but in the office, I say, man, it's a terrible setup. I'm interrupted all the time. I dread going back to work because the first couple of weeks, everybody's just going to be hanging out, you know, at my desk or at my office talking, you know, just talking. You know, like I, I would say that the first several weeks of people going back to the office, the productivity is going to be near zero uh, just because people are catching up with each other. Um, and I think there are uh, legitimate anxiety, health and safety concerns still about the office setups um, that. You know, we, we've seen the return of the, the, as we like to call in the U.S., the active shooter issue. We're still not sure where we are on COVID. And do you make people who are legitimately anxious uh, and have concern about being in the office make them come into the office? How, how fair um, is, is that? So I think those are all issues that need to be considered. Um, this is time where I talk about the second survey or second two sets of surveys that I found when I was looking at, uh, at this issue. Uh, they were both conducted by Law360. And what's interesting is, is that they, they kind of have, uh, well, I'm not sure that they have a conflict or not. Um, the first survey was conducted with Major Lindsay in Africa, the one I mentioned before. And what was interesting about that was 21% of those surveys were itching for a return to the office as soon as possible. And those people tended to be partners and older lawyers. 69% would feel comfortable when returning to the office after getting vaccinated or when herd immunity is reached. And only 4% said that they do not intend to go back at all to the office. A, what I would consider to be a relatively small percent. Not surprisingly, that 69 and 4% tended to be the younger lawyers in the group. The other, I guess what's con confusing to me, and maybe this is where the conflict is, is that there was another survey conducted with brand new summer associates. So almost entirely younger. I mean, I would guess demographically, they will tend to be younger uh, adults. 48% um, of those said that they're willing to go work in the office now. 45% said they would go if they were vaccinated. And 7% said they weren't comfortable going back to the office. So 
I'm confused about whether, you know, what's, it sounds like more people from these surveys, it seems like lawyers are not generally unwilling to go back. There are some that aren't. Um, but, uh, but I'm, so I'm, I only say, I don't know what the real answer is. I think that because we're seeing all of these conflicting different things, I think that's just all the more reason why we need to have a thoughtful discussion about how to do it in how to do this in such a way that allows for the exploration of new ideas. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's right. So there are, you know, I for each statistic, there's a, a counter statistic, and in some cases, you're going to say, well, this doesn't. If, if you're talking about what first year, uh, uh, you know, our one L summer students or what first year associates are willing to do to have a job, yeah, I believe me, they're going err on the side of, of going into the office in, in this current job market. Uh, but I think we go. I, I, my concern is is that we're just like I just see this top down thing and the announcements and a lot of what we see is big law. And there's also some, uh, you know, the other thing, Tom, is there are some firms where people have never worked from home and this through the whole pandemic, they've been in the office, but the, the big law announcements we're seeing of certain dates, everybody has to be in that kind of thing. I think it just, you you just wonder, it, it just seems so top down. And I know how, psychologically most of us work that if if i'm told from the top that i have to be in every day the first day the managing there any managing partner of the firm is not in the office and is working from home that's going to be one of the last days that i feel any need to come into the office and i think we're also truly over nostalgic about in-person meetings and the spontaneous hallway conversations uh uh, which, uh, you know, we'll realize once we get back into them. I don't think we have a great sense of what hybrid could look like. Will we bring the best of, of two worlds together? Um, and at home, we're used to personalizing our schedule, not dressing up, uh, you know, s- setting our own hours, do these sorts of things. And back in the office, we're just, uh, you know, feel that we're being told what to do. And, and if you're in an open office, I mean, like everything about that, uh, whether or not you're vaccinated, all, all that sort of stuff, you just look at the open office concept and you're saying I, that is just not a, a healthy space. So, okay, so in, in terms of the open office concept, I, I think it depends on what you mean. I think in general, open office is a terrible concept when it comes to spreading illness. But I also think that we are going to see commercial real estate evolve a lot in the coming years. I've, we're already seeing companies think a lot about how office space evolves and how it's going to need to change because it doesn't make sense, likewise, it doesn't make sense to have separate offices for everyone, especially if we're going to go to the hybrid workspace. And that traditional hoteling method where people just claim any available desk is not going to work either. And so I think that to a certain extent... Um, office design is going to need to change, I think. And, and we're starting to see it with some of the big companies, not law firms, mind you, but other companies, um, that, that they are starting to change. There needs to be an openness. I mean, that's what our whole last year and a half was about, was about social distancing. So there's going to have to be that notion of openness, but in a different way that makes it easy to work together. So um, we've, we've been 
talking a lot about problems for a while. Let's talk about some solutions. Do you want to kind of share what you think a hybrid solution might look like if you would ever be inclined to entertain that? Well, I, th- I think you need these elements. So you need, to, uh, you need to show that you're trusting the employees. You need to show that you value their creativity. You need to show uh, and give them flexibility. I think that you do that and you combine that with a serious effort at trying to learn what might work uh, in terms of the hybrid approaches um, and not just say, we're ordering you back into the office uh, because I, I know where that's going. I know where that would go with myself. I, you know, my survey results come from Eagle Hill Consulting. 27% of people plan to leave their jobs as the pandemic sus, uh, subsides for millennials. Um, it's, it's even higher. And that for 53% of the U.S. workforce, burnout is a problem. You know, so it's not like we went from an ideal world to, uh, you know, and we're going to go back to that ideal world. But I think that if you get these elements where you're showing uh, trust, flexibility, creativity, then for for people, especially lawyers, this is what appeals to them. And uh, if you take those learnings forward in a scientific way, I, th- I think we take some serious steps. Otherwise, I think it's just going to be a lot of attrition and then uh, firms will decide whether they can live with that or not. And, uh, and people will decide whether they're going to live with that or not. And that's, that's going to be tough for the profession. Okay, so you couldn't resist going back to the negative again and talking about the survey. And I'm only going to point out about this survey that nowhere in there do they say that people are going to leave their job because they are being forced back to the office. It says they are leaving their job because of burnout. And if I were on one side of a trial versus you, I would argue that that burnout is due to lack of communication, being forced to join video meeting after video meeting, having work time and personal time blur together because we're all at home so much, which in a perverse way would be an argument for going back to the office to avoid that burnout. That said, I think that a hybrid is possible. I think it certainly starts with all the things you talk about. It needs to have creativity. It needs to have flexibility. It needs to have, I think, a certain level of compassion for the people who um, who don't who have been affected in tremendous ways over the past year and a half. Um, but I also think that it's going to require for that creativity. I don't know that the legal industry has that capability. I don't know that you know we always talk about legal design thinking and we can design an app for um, for for access to justice purposes. Well, I don't. Know that we can design the perfect office space solely within the, the, the legal field. So we have to look outside the legal industry. We have to look at what other industries are doing. I, we, I mentioned this on a previous podcast, so I'll mention it again. I think that technology companies are really taking the lead because some, some companies are saying their employees never have to come back to work again. There, some of them say you, can, you take your choice and you don't, have to, you, you don't have to do that. Others are allowing a lot more flexible schedules. The thing that I hear most often about a flexible schedule is three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, or excuse me, Monday and Friday, stay at home. Uh, I, I hear that a lot. I hear that in some law firms, actually, but I hear that also outside the legal industry. Uh, you know, companies like Google are actually insisting that their employees return to work, but I think in exchange, 
and I can't remember the article, I think I posted it in a previous podcast, they're essentially reinventing their workplace to make it a more comfortable, healthy place to work. So I think that they are trying to recognize, or at least recognize what they believe is that in-person meetings are more effective for them, but we want to make sure everybody is safe and healthy, so we're going to try to accommodate that. Now, I, what I also think in, in the world of the new world of collaboration tools, um, I would say that more companies are moving towards, surprise, telepresence technologies, which again, we've been talking about for a long time, uh, to make meetings more natural so that you can actually, because of the people who are going to be virtual, who are going to be working from home, it makes them look like they're actually in the room with you. And so I think we're going to be seeing the conference room evolve over time to make it look like people are, are there working together to move the, the, the TV out of the way or make it easier for people to see actual people rather than just see a slide deck being presented or other types of things being presented. I think that there are a lot of different creative options out there, and I think that the law needs to look outside the legal industry to get that far. Dennis, anything to close it up? No, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I don't know whether the profession can do that. I don't know uh, whether a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, I'm hearing people say that it's a real benefit to a job to be able to work remotely and they, they will uh, take a job if, if it's remote versus one that they have to come into the office. So things are evolving, you know, and uh, I love this quote that says, the best talent always has options. And I think this is one of these cases where it's going to be a wait and see. And uh, in this job market, uh, outside of legal, legal is pretty tough right now, but um, it's more of a seller's market for employees. I think you can ask more and there's going to be a more of a wait and see. And, uh, you know, the younger generations are definitely have the, having that approach. Like, I don't know how this command and control top down, uh, you know, older generation telling younger generation what to do. I don't know how long that that can sustain. All right, that's enough on this subject. Let us move on to the next segment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. 
And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And it's time for our new segment. Well, not so new anymore. And we call it Hot or Not. We pick something people are talking about. Uh, well, in this case, maybe <laughs> the two of us are talking about. And we argue whether we think that it's hot or not. We might agree, but odds are that we won't. Or maybe I have an ulterior motive in the topic we have uh, for today. But let's get started. Tom, people have been curious about the progress we are making on our second brain projects. Is our progress hot or not? Well, I would say first, thank you, Dennis, for picking this topic because it is an ambush. You do have clearly have an ulterior motive. I would argue that it has something to do with the fact that um, you are off for the summer and I am working nights and days and weekends. And so I will say that uh, that for me, progress is not. It is cold as ice. Uh, and, and the reason is, is that it's really about getting your second brain set up the way you want. And I will confess, I am in a state of paralysis about Notion. There are so many different ways to design your second brain in Notion. I can't figure out what I want to do. For example, um, I am planning our first vacation uh, after after the last year and a half. And there are a dozen articles. There's even more YouTube videos uh, talking about how great Notion is for travel planning. And every single one of those has a different way of structuring their travel planning area, which is great. That means you have a lot of freedom to do what you want. That's one of the great things about Notion. There are infinite possibilities. But, you know, there are times when I want a little less freedom and I want someone who just gives me the perfect thing to do and tells me what's great and I just do it. Um, you know, another example, and I'll use I'll say, for example, here's what I've been finding this week. How do you send an email to Notion, Dennis? Do you, do you, have you been trying to send emails to Notion at all? It's not, not my intended workflow whatsoever. So I got, as I'm travel planning, I got... I got reservations from the hotel. I want to save that somewhere. And if I'm travel planning in Notion, then I want to save that in Notion. Well, there's no way to send emails to Notion. Um, even with the vaunted API, it is very difficult and challenging to forward emails to Notion. It's not good at this where, frankly, Evernote and OneNote were a lot better. Now, if there are any listeners out there who know how to do this, then please contact me. I'll be your friend forever. Um, if I'm being honest, I keep going back in my mind whether I'd really like to use a tool like Obsidian or Rome Research because they just seem better tools for linking ideas together, which is also very appealing to me. But frankly, the real reason I haven't gotten anything done is I'm still working on my half of the next edition of our collaboration tools book. When I am done with that, I will have no more excuses and we'll need to dive in headfirst. So check back with me in a couple of months. Dennis, now is your time to gloat. So I took advantage of uh, my personal quarterly offsite for for June, and one of the things I had on the agenda was uh, the second brain project, and decided that's something I'm focusing on the rest of the the summer. But I actually made a lot of uh, headway uh, in in a number of of key areas, and one was was just simplification. So I was thinking about the the template thing because because no, Notion gives you a ton of templates that other people have designed, but you start to feel like they are somebody else's idea and somebody else's approach. So I've, I've gone to a much simpler approach, um, and I'll probably create some of the things that I want to do. And I've kind of prioritized 
uh, some of the things that I, I want to do. And so when you, you talked about the sending emails, I, and I said it's not part of my workflow, in the situation you would describe, I would just copy and paste the, the email into Notion. That's, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's really simple. I don't have to automate that. And I, I know what I'm doing with it. And I don't have, you know, this, uh, you know, totally elaborate thing. It's, it's just me, one person working on that. Uh, but I feel like I've now mapped out what the Notion Second Brain homepage looks like, the things that I'm, I'm going to do next, and some of the things that I'm going to try to pull in from other sources. So I actually feel my progress in a lot of ways is, is kind of hot. Uh, so you're right, Tom, I did have an ulterior motive. Now it's time for a parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use a second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I actually want to revisit one of the tips that I gave in the last po podcast, our 20 tips in 20 minutes. And I want to talk about Microsoft Edge Collections. It's a sort of a brand new feature in the Microsoft Edge browser. Um, you all you, There's a button in your toolbar it's for collections. You click on it and it opens up in the side and you can create new collections and you can save websites to it. You can save documents to it. You can do whatever you want. And I would say that I've, I had a lot of tabs open um, I had a lot of tabs open when I'm doing my vacation research for hotels and restaurants and things like that. And um, rather than keep them as tabs or as bookmarks in the browser, I just started a new collection. I named one Portland Hotels. I named one Oregon Restaurants. And literally within three seconds, I had two collections full of items and my tabs were all gone. And now they're just sitting there waiting. I could actually, if I wanted to, I could go and I can share them. I can share them to a, um, where did it go. I can share them. It tells me how I can share them and I can't figure out how to do that anymore. I can send it to Excel. I can send it to OneNote. I can send it to Word. It's very handy to be able to do this. I realize that what I'm describing to some people may sound a lot like just saving bookmarks, but to me, this seems so much more intuitive and so much faster and so much easily accessible than my bookmarks are that uh, I'm really digging the collections right now. For mine, I, I may have mentioned this before uh, somewhere along the line, but I'm really liking what uh, Nikki Shaver is doing with the Legal Tech Hub. So it's LegalTechnologyHub.com. So a lot, I usually, when people say, I like to go to one place and learn a lot about legal tech and like all the different things that are out there. And I always send them to the uh, Legal Technology Resource Center of the, of the ABA because I'm involved in it. But I really like what Nikki has put together and is starting to, to build here. And I just think it's really a place to watch. And it's one of those things where I've had so many conversations with people saying, oh, there should be like one place that has everything about legal tech and we should figure out what to do with this and what platform and all this. And it's it's just so great to see, uh, you know, Nikki Shaver just saying like, well, everybody else can talk about it. I'm just going to go do that. And, uh, and she's done that. So definitely worth taking a, a look at Legal Tech Hub. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Ma Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes 
or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous shows along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter or leave us a voicemail. Remember, we haven't had a voicemail uh, segment in a long time. We'd love to have one. That phone number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>